if somebody experiences fear or unrest in themselves, my invitation and my request for somebody would be to just put your hand on your solar plexus or your heart and just go, I'm here, I'm here, I'm good. Like I am, I am an individual having a human experience and I'm safe. And so when you become truly present, you're always safe. That's Jesse Elder. And this is episode 446 of the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. Wellness Wisdom, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life? Wellness, I think, is a combination of understanding your own internal wants, needs, and desires. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Understanding that we are a piece of nature, you know, nature is where we belong, I think is a very comforting thing to understand that would certainly feed into wellness well. Aloha and welcome. It's Josh Trent and you're here on the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. Now, this is where you're going to receive like every single episode, by the way, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and financial intelligence that you and I both need to live our life well. This is where we explore the Pentagon of wellness so that by the time you leave this podcast, you'll be more intelligent and more embodied than when you started. This is episode 446, Jesse Elder, Mind Vitamins, How to Gather, Apply, and Embody Wisdom even in the face of fear. And this is key. I don't know about you, but I have been going through a lot lately, personally, professionally, as a new parent. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I have definitely noticed that if I go too long without eating, I get hangry. (laughs) I get very hangry. My number one emotional self-regulation tool is food, followed by breath work, followed by cold therapy, in that order. And my favorite food is turkey sticks from Paleo Valley, our friends, our sponsor, our colleagues. If you've heard the episode with Autumn Smith, it's episode 433, Foods for Stress, How to Naturally Lower Blood Sugar. You know that getting high quality protein is very important. It's very important, specifically turkey and fermented beef. So it's important. I can't stress this enough. If you've been stressed out or if you've been snapping at your spouse or if you've been dealing with maybe blood sugar issues or emotional regulation issues, I implore you to get some savings and get better blood sugar. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley. That's joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley. Enter the code Josh. You get 15% off pasture raised turkey sticks and fermented beef. My turkey sticks are the favorite. Use code Josh for 15% off at joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley. They've been supporting us for years. They want to support you with the hookup and the key to unlocking better blood sugar. And it's a perfect bridge between blood sugar and emotional regulation. The concept of fear happens when we are hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I'll talk about that in a second. We've all heard FEAR, the acronym, which could be forget everything and run, F-E-A-R. But recently, after I got home from the vision quest, I've come up with something new. And FEAR, I believe, is for everyone's attention responsibly for everyone's attention responsibly. And responsibly is the key. If we're taking care of our sleep, our food, our emotional regulation, our self-worth and self-love, which is that acronym of HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, then we're gonna be able to truly be free. We won't be a slave to our biology and we'll be able to continue to walk and work on the path of freedom. We have a guest today who is a world-class, and I say that with total conviction, a world-class speaker 
author, presenter on the topics of neurological, emotional, psychological, and personal growth. His name is Jesse Elder. And I think he might be the most free man in the world. (laughs) I think he's the freest man in the world. I'm not being dramatic. We sat for almost three hours here at the studio in Austin. This man is exceptionally free. I've known him for about two years now, about a year and a half. He has created a personal empire. He is a self-described millionaire, a mentor, an improv philosopher, a former MMA fighter turned entrepreneur. And he's also the author of a book called The Upgraded Life. He's an international life coach and a man with a abundance mentality at jesseelder.com. He really represents the potential of self-mastery. And this phrase, human upgrades, you're going to receive these upgrades from this podcast because if you truly absorb, if you gather and if you apply and if you embody this wisdom, this podcast can change your life. I'm not saying that because you need to read it in a book or because you need to post it on the wall. This episode can change your life if you take what Jesse is saying to heart. In this podcast, we're going to talk about how to know whether or not you're actually living in freedom. How do we know if we're in freedom or not? Jesse explains this. We'll explore the arc of intelligence, how we can gather, apply, and embody what we learn. And at about the 40-minute mark, something so profound we discussed. I'm excited for you to hear this. It's an intensely important reframe for all of us when we look at the truth, especially our subjective truth. In other words, the truth that we believe ourselves. It may be true, or it may be useful. Jesse offers us this powerful reframe. He says that when it comes to truth, is something true or is this useful for me? Let that land. This is a really big one. We're going to talk about that in depth and also why public schools are failing children, the new age of humanity, where we'll all be challenged to build self-resilience and upgrade our lives. And we'll explore the natural law. Jesse breaks down taxation as theft and the process he's going to share with you about natural laws as a sovereign being here on planet earth. It's profound. Show notes from today are at joshtrent.com forward slash 446. Make sure that you tag us and mention us on Instagram. That's the best place to drive the conversation and to connect with Jesse and to connect with me. Now let's tune in to learn about this concept of mind vitamins, how we gather, apply, and embody true freedom and wisdom, even in the face of fear. These mind vitamins that Jesse talks about are the most nourishing thing we could ever do for our heart and our soul in the face of fear. Now let's tune in with Jesse. Jesse, welcome to my house. Welcome to Wellness Wisdom. Thank, Thank you, Josh. you for being so here. So great to see you, man. We've, uh, we've been teeing this up for a long time, for a, dude. For a minute. Yeah. You were already dropping some wisdom, so I thought, let me take a breath with Jesse and really unpack layer by layer what's going on in the world, what's going on with your internal world, because I love your internal world. Every time I've hung out with you at a function or I've seen you around town, there's this peace inside of you. And when I look at you, when I experience you as a soul, it's always been this enjoyable process. Now, granted, I'm getting you at functions. I'm getting you at parties. This is going to be a really cool experience for me to share your wisdom and maybe some of the layers that you haven't shared in a while, mm-hmm. you know, creating this awesome space for your wisdom. If people don't know you, uh, how would you explain who you are of service to the world today? We're recording this in early April, so it's probably going to change yeah. in May. Yeah. But, you know, here we are, man, in early April. You've done 2,000 interviews and people know you as a high-level coach, um, multi-million dollars earned, all the stuff on the paper and scratch to make you feel good. But on an emotional level, on a, on a service level for the world, who are you? Who are you today in April? Um, that's a great tee up, man. Uh, I, I want to go back real quick to something you, you said and your experience of when we've hung out. And 
I, I think that that is very much a result of, of what you radiate. Like, and I see the way people interact with you and I see the way that you interact with others. And I think that when, when two people connect personally, professionally, whatever, they're on the, they're on the same channel, the same frequency. And so it's like mountaintop to mountaintop. It's like, Oh yeah, there you are. Okay. And so I appreciate very much your kind words. And I think that, that it's just, that's what happens when you have resonance. So I'm, completely stoked about what we're going to crack into today thanks jesse it's a bromance brewing it is it is right here live mutual, on the camera respect <laughs> yeah yeah so well, yeah well so so to answer the question of of um who i am and all that kind of stuff i had um i had some uh, former business partner who's in town a couple of months ago and they're part of tony robbins platinum group so a bunch of plats they call themselves a bunch of platinum people were in town and uh, one one of them, we really hit it off, and he's like, "Hey, man, can you come by the hotel? You know, we're going to be on break, and you know, I'd love to chat with you a little more because we were talking about law and talking about authentic self expression and you know all these things." And so I ended up going to this hotel, and so Tony's rocking the thing in the room, and you know, you can hear the buzz, and people are starting to get get high on that on that vibe. And I found myself in a coffee shop surrounded by eight or nine of these you know high level entrepreneurs, and. Next thing I know, I'm just like talking and listening. And this woman said out loud, she's like, oh my God, you are the freest man I have ever met. And it didn't really hit me until later that like that, that is my entire existence. My entire life has been designed to continually experience increasing amounts of freedom. And so my work is very much in, in enabling and facilitating and, and, and amplifying that for other people. Um, but I think in a, in a nutshell that that would be, that would be what I do is I amplify freedom. What does freedom feel like on a somatic level? What is that? It feels like a crackling blue sky, just shimmering inside of your solar plexus. <laughs> That's it. feels good. And, and what does freedom not feel like? How would one know that they're not living in freedom? Uh, if they're paying taxes, getting vaccinated, uh, sending their kids to public schools, and eating factory farmed sludge. All right. Well, that's an entire podcast <laughs> right there. So, <laughs> I, um, you have a really, really beautiful story. I know you've told it a lot, but you know, today, just creating the space for you to share it however you want to share it, whatever feels true to you today. Huge background in martial arts. By the time you're in your uh, young 20s, you're already like owning a center, mm-hmm. multi-million dollars. So you have a deep physical background. You're a very physical guy. And I've, I just recently, man, when I got back from the Vision Quest, I was showing you mm. those photos on my computer from the Quest. And when I was in my spot, I, I realized like, wow, wellness for me used to be a quadrant. It used to be a square. Mm. It was the physical, which is the baseline, which you spent a long time in martial arts working on. Then it was the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. And what was missing for me was this, this roof, and it was financial. Mm. You know, we're souls. We signed up to be here on planet Earth at this time we may as well enjoy the game of money. Yeah. So um, contrast that, you know, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the financial. Start, let's start in your early 20s mm-hmm. and just go from that place because looking back, as Alan Watts says, the vacuum that was mm-hmm. created for you to be here and serve all these entrepreneurs and these platinum people and everything else, it's quite the story, man. It's quite the story. Well, I, I uh, even just you saying that, I'm doing a little time piercing of my own, remembering you know, the day that I opened my martial arts school in San Antonio, I was 23 years old and I, I already felt like I was behind, you know, I'd had this, this vision of having my own school since I was like 15 years old. And 
it really like it seemed like it took forever and it's only in retrospect that you're like dude i was a kid like i was 23 years old like opening my own business and it certainly didn't feel abundant and it didn't feel at all like i was in the flow and all those things and i'm very appreciative of those experiences because when when i you know i was like 9 years old oldest of 5 homeschooled we lived in uh born in Austin, grew up in San Antonio, South Texas, and had a, I'm so appreciative to my parents for listening to their intuition. I was not. I'm the only one of my siblings that wasn't. So I was, yeah, they're like, all right, cool. Got that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wasn't born at home, but, uh, but I've never been to school or taken a test or sat behind a desk or anything like that. And so when I was nine, I started training martial arts and did that for 10 years and then had a baptism in reality when I, this woman I was dating, we were at this house party and I was 19 years old and there's this dude just mad dogging me from across the room. And I asked her, I'm like, what's this guy's deal? And she's like, oh, well, that's, that's my boyfriend. And I was like, what? So I'm like heartbroken, angry and dude, it was, yeah, it was, I was like, uh, and I was, I had crippling anxiety. I mean, I was so, so, so shy. So to even like be dating this woman was like a big deal for me. And then, uh, long story short, I end up saying, you know what? All right, fine. You guys do your thing. So I leave and I'm walking down the, the driveway and <laughs> this dude just tackles me. We go to the ground and the first thought through my mind is this guy's going to get disqualified. Because I'd fought in all these tournaments, fought, I'd competed in all these tournaments, and I'd played sport martial arts and had heard from so many people, hey man, good fight, good fight, good fight, good fight. Well, when you're 9 to 19 and you hear that a few hundred times, good fight, you start to think you are a good fighter. That baptism in reality, it, it popped my cherry, man. I was on the ground, this guy's like punching me, and I'm bouncing around. I had roughly the combat skills of your son at this point. I was just like, ah, what do I do? And, um, and it, it, it changed everything for me because I realized that all this work that I'd been putting in to winning trophies and got my black belt and all these things, that that fell apart the moment actual reality set in. Luckily, you know, people kind of pulled this apart and I'm like shot through with adrenaline and my heart's pounding and this guy's like six feet away and he's yelling at me and I'm going to kill you. Da, da, da. And I do a little moral check. Like he started it, right? Okay. Is it wrong if I kick him? No, he started it. Uh, okay. Three, two, one. And I round kicked him in the head. He just like dropped like a sack of concrete. I jumped over him like a gazelle, hauled ass. But my world had changed forever because I realized that I'd been operating under a false premise. The false premise being that the kick that I'm going to do on the heavy bag or the combination that I'm going to do with my sparring partner somehow is going to magically translate into the ability to protect myself. <laughs> it could not have performed worse. And so I wasn't mad at my instructors. I realized that they were just learning or they were teaching what they learned from their instructors. But martial arts, most martial arts schools are beautiful places to expand your mind, your body, connect with people. It's an amazing workout, but it's art. And that was a distinction that I had, I'd never realized. And so it was about as effective as other arts like finger painting. Mm -hmm. and, and it just didn't translate. So I began to wonder how many other things in my life I just accepted 
And so I became, um, I didn't language it this way back then, but I recognized that that was the beginning of beginning to massively split test entire belief systems and really testing different paradigms and not identifying with any one at the, at the macro level. But when I was in it, I was in it. So I began training jujitsu and I'm like, I'm a jujitsu guy now. And then I'm, I'm going to be vegan and I'm full on vegan. And then I'm vegetarian. I'm vegetarian. And, uh, all of that testing led to when I opened my school, realizing that I don't know jack about running a business. In fact, business makes me want to poke my eyes out because it's not, it doesn't feel real. It feels fake. When I started learning sales scripts and all that, I was like, like, uh, I think most of us feel that way. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, hopefully because it, it is a, it can be soulless man. And, and a lot of people are willing to sell their soul if they can just make some money and then they'll be themselves. It's like, okay, um, there's a recipe here because I think Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched <laughs> in the face. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there you are a spiritual awakening through violence, big time, which is interesting because big time. You, you could have, what was it about your soul? You could have chosen to be like a victim and go, oh yeah, like, you know, he was a jerk and you could have like went to the gym and, and did steroids mm -hmm. and built yourself up mm -hmm. and armored up and done all these things. What was it about your soul that said, oh, okay, I'm going to see this as a spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. getting my, my butt kicked or right. getting in a fight with someone else. That's not always people's first choice right. is to spiritually awaken right, right. from that. What was that for you? Well, I really appreciate that distinction. It didn't feel like a spiritual awakening at the time. At the time, mm -hmm. but as I look back and and start to connect the dots, I recognize that all of those experiences contained the raw fuel for a new belief. And but you don't get the new belief automatically just because you go through something traumatic or painful or or sad or depressing or what just because you go through that experience doesn't guarantee an upgrade it just provides a lot of raw material with which to fashion the upgrade so i became uh you know i realized right away that nobody cares how good you are in martial arts they don't care how much you love teaching it's like what's in it for me so i started yeah. to understand that the less i demonstrated and the more I ask questions about what you want for your son or your daughter to learn, and then I started to realize, oh, well, martial arts is superior than anything else they're trying. So try the class, and eventually we ended up very successful. And and um, you were one of the top schools in the country at yeah, that time. Yeah, I mean, in the world, really. We in the world. We we uh, and and I full credit to my mentors and my coaches, and had amazing business partners. And and I I have always just sort of recognized that. I, I've always loved toggling back and forth between leading and following. And so if it's time to lead, then I, I don't need to be told. I see something needs to be done and I do it. At the same time, if there's a result that I'm after and I think is going to be useful for me or for others, I'm going to find who's embodying that result, not talking about it. In fact, they don't have to say anything. I could just mm. see how much it resonates and then I'll do whatever it takes to be around those people, learn from them, train from, train with them, um, and in in that way, my ego is extremely involved at learning as much as I can. So I'm not competitive with anybody. I don't see I'm, the competition is not for me. It's not a useful frame. But I, I'm I'm hungry, and after a while, you absorb so much information, and then you're constantly testing. And next thing you know, you have a level of functional mastery that might have taken, you know, 10 years of trial and error, but if you compress it down into a tightly focused chunk of time, 
in, in martial arts, we would say that, that success isn't measured on the calendar. It's measured on the clock and on the mat. So I've really never used calendar time as a, as a factor in achieving a goal. And with my clients, we do the same thing. It's like calendars are relevant. All achievement really is an emotional journey. And so when you have the emotional normalization of, let's say, a million dollars or the emotional normalization of being of, of profound, useful influence, when you make that emotional journey and you normalize that, all of a sudden the idea of what to do next arises naturally and you just do it and it feels like deja vu. Mm. From the outside, it looks like a quantum leap. But for you, it's like, I still put my pants on. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so what you described in a beautiful way with your own words and your own life experience is this model that we've talked about for three years now on Wellness Wisdom, and that is the arc of intelligence. We gather, we we get learned from the best masters, we listen to Jesse, we take his programs, we listen to the podcast, we spend our time gathering, then we apply, Mm -hmm. we actually do the thing. We do the carnivore, we do the vegan, we, we try it on, we see if the sweater itches. And then at some point there's embodiment. And it's that phase of one, two, and three, that's the arc. Yep. And the embodiment, like, you're right, when I'm around somebody and they embody a certain quality or virtue, I don't have to ask them if they do or even ask right. myself if they do. There's an unknowing, like a sixth sense that's a deep intuitive sense where I'm just like, yeah, that person embodies this. Mm-hmm. It's not a heuristic. I'm not creating mm-hmm. a shortcut mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's the breathwork guy or Jesse's the business guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but there is something to that. I mean, how many times have you gone through that gather, apply, embody model yeah. uh, in the road to, yeah. to where you are now? Probably countless times, yes? Yeah. yeah. I love that frame so much, man, because it, it very similar to the way that, that you know a lion cub will learn to hunt. It has an innate instinct to do it, but it also is observing. And so that constant harmony between your felt sense and your environmental influence, um, frankly, that's, that's why so many people never tap their genius is because they're layers removed from their own actual experience of life. Even somebody watching this, listening to this, is on on a phone, they're on an iPad, they're on a computer, there's a removed layer. And even if we get into the wildest, craziest stories today, somebody can have an emotional sense and some of it will resonate, but it's still not their direct personal experience. Right. And so what what I'm hearing and what you say is that when you sense that and you can kind of grok that in somebody else that, wow, this person really embodies X, whatever it is, you don't need them to say anything. You know, it's like Rumi said, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're mm-hmm, saying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, that, and, and coming back to coaching and, and to leadership, that is the ultimate unfair advantage for anybody who's in a leadership position. Because when you're embodying these principles that are on the wall in your mission statement in your boardroom, when you embody them, you can take that sign out and crumple it up and make a fire and cook lunch over it, and it will be more useful than hanging on the wall if you embody it culture company culture is how everybody acts when you're not there like it, you don't need to have somebody teach it yeah. you either are it or you're not and everybody's learning like a lion cub i love the analogy of the lion cub like they're they're born with an instinct they kind of know how to a lion by the way they're crazy have you seen a lion like lick skin off mm. <laughs> a lion's tongue is so powerful that it can mm. lick skin off they're so incredibly 
instinctual. They're killers. Mm-hmm. Yet they also know how to play with one another. They mm-hmm. learn by playing and mm-hmm. by doing their own martial arts. Mm-hmm. And I think about how many kids have like the perfect parents, the parents that are, you know, attached or, or disassociated. Your parents gave you a lot of space. Tremendous. Amounts. I mean, they, I think you even said they, they knew how to stay out of my way or some, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. What was the advantage of having parents that were a little more hands-off? And then also, as an embodied man now, looking back, were there any disadvantages? Always. Yeah, there's always disadvantages. And, and so much of that, most of it maybe, is, is perception and is the choice of how to see it and what story we're going to choose to tell about the event. Because the event has no meaning by itself. It's like... You know, when I had this freedom, which is great, um, and my dad being completely um, very principle-oriented towards contribution and towards global community, uh, was very connected to the refugee situation in El Salvador and Guatemala and Nicaragua in the in the 80s. And there was this civil war that was happening down there. It wasn't civil war. It was engineered insurrection. But um, – People are getting killed and they're getting tortured and these death squads are roaming around. And so the bunch of them are coming to the U.S. And my dad and my mom felt very compelled to help. So we ended up living in uh, San Benito, which is a little town outside of Harlingen in the valley in Texas. And my dad was the director of this halfway house for Central American refugees and was vocal about his conviction that this just needed to be done. And it was breaking the law. It was a felony. And he ended up getting arrested for aiding and abetting illegal aliens and was extremely outspoken about it. Ended up going to trial, got acquitted. It was this big public thing. Hollywood found out about it. They wanted to do a movie about our family and all this stuff. And he was very adamant. He said, I'm not going to, he said, these people need help and I feel compelled to help them. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep helping them. He ends up getting arrested again. Um, This time ends up getting convicted. And I was, 10 years old, sitting in the courtroom in, the, in, the, uh, in Houston where the trial was, and I remember the foreman of the jury standing up and saying, Your Honor, we have reached a verdict. We find the defendant, Jack Elder, guilty. And they start naming off the, the counts. And every count was six or seven years federal time. So I'm 10 years old listening to this, and I remember vividly my whole body just went cold. And I'm doing the math in my head, seven years for every count. And the meaning that my 10-year-old mind made up from that is that I'm never going to see my dad again. And I grew up instantly. That second, that day, I grew up emotionally because the meaning that I created is that if my dad's not going to be here, then I have to take care of my mom, my brother's. As it turns out, he ended up getting like five months in a halfway house in San Antonio, three miles from our house, was at home every day, just had to go back there to sleep. And they let him out a month early if he promised not to tell the press because it was this huge political football. So I didn't miss my dad, (laughs) but the emotional impact was still the same. So the reason I share that story is because it would have been very easy to create a story that my dad loved other people more than he loved us and that he left us. That story is there and it was, is easily uh, defensible. It's easily justifiable, would get lots of people going, oh yeah, but is that a useful story? 
didn't know. So I'd never told that story. I've never heard that story. I had no idea. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and you're welcome. And and I don't I don't just mean telling the story of what happened, but yeah. the representation of what it meant mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. a story. And so if the the story could have been my dad abandoned us, or the story could have been uh, my dad is a lawbreaker, or the you know story could, there could have been all these other stories. Um, but I was around 16, 17 years old when I started to understand the connection between my internal representation of something and then my emotional state around it, and then the behaviors and then ultimately the results that I'm creating. And I started to, from early age, started to understand that, shit, man, I'm just making this whole thing up. And it was weird for a while because I was like, am I crazy? But then I'm like, well, what's crazy? You know, it's just a different reality. Hopefully one that doesn't hurt people. What is it about our, our, I guess you could say almost like an arbiter of true and false Mm -hmm. where you could have chosen, all right, um, my dad's a criminal and he left us. And you could have literally imprinted that subconsciously and and ran with it for like 10 years. Exactly. What, what what is that in our psyche? I know you're deep into neuroscience and your work. You work with some really amazing people that need that brain support in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. What is it about our brains or the way that we have been designed, Jesse, that, Dude, that makes question. us either choose the story that's super disempowering mm-hmm. or the story that in some way we make meaning and we make love? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So, it, and, you know, we're relational beings and a, and a fundamental need that every one of us has is connection. Yeah. And we will do anything to create connection. Even somebody whose heart is closed and they're experiencing a lot of pain and anger and fear, and then that becomes this sort of driver for control of other people, they're still getting connection. They're still getting attention, even if that attention is fear, even if that attention is anger, they're still relevant. They're still important. So we will do anything to create connection, even if it's around pain. And so since most people have unresolved pain and um, stories that are sort of floating around that are painful stories. Would you call it AKA trauma? Um, Pain trauma? Yeah, or is it- yeah, it could, can be. It definitely okay. can be. Um, and so since, since virtually everybody has this unresolved pain, then like we're just walking around as like giant, you know, bags of woundedness. And so it's very easy to connect through pain. So if I have a story of this thing happened to me and it sucked, other people go, ah, me too. And now we're connected. And so I get to have attention and, and the, the presence of someone else, which is what we all actually want. And I, you can learn very quickly that if I just tell this story, then other people will pay attention to me. And then they'll tell their story and I'll pay attention to them. And, and a lot of people figure out in the marketing world that if you have a story and you tell the sad story and then you tell the triumphant story, that then that kind of helps people. It also keeps that story very active. And so I've just learned that if, if words are spells, and I believe that they are, and if words don't have any meaning by themselves, but if they are vehicles for meaning that we assign to them, then I probably ought to choose my words pretty carefully. So I just stopped asking, going back to the baptism in reality on that, on that street fight, I stopped asking what's true. And I just started asking what's useful. And as I started to ask, is this useful? Mm. It was an instant yes or no. And if it was a no, this isn't useful. Well, then that forced me to consider what would be useful. 
So as I retold the story and re-presented the story to myself over and over about that experience with my dad, I started to see all these other elements of that. I started to see the power of conviction, the power of following your beliefs regardless of what other people say, um, in his own way, authentic self-expression. And I began to just take that and like, okay, well, that's, that's useful. That's useful. That's useful. That's a magic reframe. Is it useful or is it true? Mm -hmm. Because truth can be subjective or objective. Bingo. I can drop a rock and go, okay, objectively, we all agree there's gravity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, when I, when I take something and I make it subjective, it's only my truth. Right. It ain't yours. Right. right. And I think that's a really big point to talk about. Like when you say, is it useful? Do you mean, is it useful to my dream, mm. to the quality of my life? Like, what are you saying it's this useful for? So that is the magic because only you can decide the context of that question that presumes that you have authority over your own life and you are the one deciding what kind of future you want to live in. You're deciding what moral code you want to live by. You're deciding the values that you're going to express so asking that question, is it useful, then gets projected onto all these other things that you now have responsibility for. And so it's a confrontational question. When you start asking people, yeah. is it useful? And they're like, for what? For what? For what? <laughs> you're like, well, you're the, you're the one creating your life here. So, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's pretty cool. Like, like I remember um, in 2013, I sold all my martial arts schools and was, had no idea what I was going to do. I uh, also got divorced six months later. And so the sale of the business basically went to pay for the divorce because I had, I was felt a lot of guilt and I thought I'll always be able to take care of myself, but I don't want her to suffer and be scared. So basically I just took the money from the sale of the business and just passed it through to her, which also meant that I'm like starting over again in 2013. So what, what age were you then? 2013? 40. So at 40, which is when a lot of men and women go through like the, the 40, that's another story, right? Yeah. 40s downhill, which I think is complete yeah. bullshit. Totally. It's totally. complete bullshit. No, 40 but is literally the new adolescence. It feels like it sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm about to be 42 this year and yeah, I'm just man. like, whoa, I feel yeah. like I am literally starting over all the time. Yeah. Obviously, that's that's not a tr totally true story. You know, in your frame, the usefulness of that mm -hmm. though is that it keeps me humble and it keeps me hungry. Yes. That's the usefulness yes. of that story. So it yes. is it is useful. Totally. Um so so what'd you do from that place where you're getting ricocheted into the universe and starting over? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and and that's where all of these philosophies and things that I tested it, it all then I, I was like, okay, well, how much of this stuff that I've been thinking is useful and how much of it is bullshit and how much of these things that sound nice that I've been like preaching in my martial arts class? Well, here I am like back on the, in the street fight again, I'm about to find out how useful I am to the world. And if I'm not useful to the world, I'm not going to pay my bills. And if I am useful to the world, then I would expect to be received in proportion to my usefulness. So in 2013, I don't know what I was doing, but I had um, two clients who I had had uh, just very serendipitously connected with, and one of them uh, was Garrett White, and this was he was like just getting warrior going, and so we met at a bar after he spoke at Yannick uh, Silver's Underground, and um, we just had this conversation, and it was just like a like I see you, and I 
he gave me his number and we're like, all right, see you around. Next day I'm walking to the airport or, or walking um, from my taxi to the airport and I just sent him a video and I was like, Hey man, it was really cool to meet you last night. You're on, you're on an awesome path. See you around. That was it. He sends me a message back and he's just, do you know Garrett? I know of his work. Yeah. 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 So he's very polarizing, but a lot of very, the stuff he says I resonate with. Right. Well, he's, some, and some he, I don't. And he's, he's very authentically himself. Yes. He is fully himself. Right. Right. And yeah. so you, you don't have a question of where he stands. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Garrett sends me a video back and he's like, I don't even know where to look on this damn thing, but that was the most spiritual conversation I ever had at a bar. Anyway, he ended up becoming a client. And then I had one other gentleman, Kevin Thompson, who is an internet marketer. I didn't know anything about internet marketing. And so I'm working with these guys and very appreciatively paying my bills. Didn't really know what the message was. Didn't have anything to share. And this is why I bring up all this whole point, truth versus usefulness. Because I started to feel the exact same pattern of when I was 23 years old, opening my school, and here's these gurus and business consultants, and they're like, oh, here's here's what you say to sign somebody up. And I'm like, but that's not what I believe. But I, I, ugh, I can't. And I fast forward, I ended up feeling the same thing. You know, mm. people are like, oh man, dude, you your posts are great. Like we can blow you up. And you know, I got the marketing bros come out and they're just like, oh, we're going to just do this thing for you. And you can scale, you can scale. I'm like, but I don't feel good around you. <laughs> like, I'm sure you're a genius at what you do. And I'm sure there's other people that you mesh really well with. So I decided not to go the, the traditional marketing route and I decided to do what I've always done, which is just feel my connection to my purpose, feel of service and of usefulness, and go about my life. And as I did that, I got this idea. I made a video, posted the video, started calling them Mind Vitamins, and that's been the basis of everything that I've done. And we've tested traffic, and it's done very well, but eh, like it's not interesting for me. The usefulness question is it useful to do paid traffic, for example? Obviously, yes, for a lot of people. For me, it's not at this particular time. Maybe it'll change. But I've never felt an intimate connection by running paid traffic. I'm sure that's some sort of block and you know thing that I have. But if I can do a training or, or a video that is just in flow and is authentically coming from recent relevant experience... And if I can turn that into an engaging, entertaining, and useful lesson for somebody else that they can go apply and receive benefit, now I feel like we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. And absent any of those elements, I don't deserve a fucking penny. <laughs> a lot of your success, I feel, has come from your ability to connect head to heart and articulate that connection. You know, I mentioned Hawkins on this show quite a bit, and he has the emotional frequency scale. And he talks about that the biggest space for many of us is between our head and our heart. It's so hard to connect those two, depending on our level of process trauma, capital T, lowercase t, and also just the ways that we've learned from the education system. And when I was on my vision quest, I realized, wow, I've, I've actually been traumatized from yes. the educational system. I Any, was in, anybody who's been through it has been. I was in public school. We, we really need to presence this right now in our conversation. The educational system, the ivory towers they're showing cracks and they're going through a decentralization process because fundamentally on an energetic level, there is evil and corruption there from the, from the get, from the jump. 
from the plantation owners that would try to schedule curriculum so that it would keep people in slavery. It hasn't really changed that much. No, it's just gotten better. It, you know, there's football teams and there's stadiums that hold 100,000 people. But really, when you look at who funds the curriculum and, and how that unrolls, it's incredibly traumatizing. Now, this is a polarizing conversation, which I love because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my truth. Mm-hmm. What is your truth about how you were educated versus how most of the people, I don't know the percentages of homeschool versus university, but you were homeschooled, which is amazing. And that's absolutely what my children will be is homeschooled. How, juxtapose your experience of being homeschooled with what you see in the past 40 years and present day in the traditional educational system. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great topic. So you know, having worked with thousands of families in the martial arts schools, um, I would hear frequently, on an almost daily basis, parents would come to me and would say, what you're teaching should be in every school. Life skills, communication, chin up, chest out, hello, sir, hello, ma'am, and this very just empower. We have four-year-old kids that will look you in the eye and shake your hand and oh. say, how are you doing, Josh? Like, and before they were like sucking their thumb and holding onto their mom's leg. And now they'll come up to you and that's all learnable. Yeah. You know, it's in, in, it's our default actually. Anyway, parents would come to me and they would say, the school system is broken. And I would agree with that for a couple of years until I started to understand a little bit more about um, cycles in, in history understand the um, the precursor, the genesis, and then the rise, and then the fall of, of nations and of, of um, empires. And you need, if you're, if you're an empire, you need a just intelligent enough to produce, but not so intelligent to take you over. So you've got to keep, there's a pretty, pretty narrow bandwidth of, of cognitive ability, emotional intelligence, and physical resilience that you have to keep people in. This is where bread and circuses came 100%, in. 100%, yeah, in, exactly. In ancient Rome. Exactly. We'll link that in the show notes. Yep. Tons of material on yep. that. Keep them just educated enough so they won't overthrow you right. and entertain them and give them some bread. Right. Just enough, like a right. parasite. Not that, sucking just enough blood, it's ex- dude, but not so you'll this, kill, get it's killed. exactly what it is. So when I began to see that this is what was happening, um, you know, like the, the school system as we understand it today was put into place right after the Civil War because the Civil War happened and the, the um, you know, the, the, the United States, uh, which was at that time became a corporation, is saying we can't afford for this to happen again. We cannot afford for this amount of division. So we have to centralize the propaganda. We have to centralize the education and so that was the beginning of institutionalized schooling. Prior to that, it was like Little House on the Prairie. You know, it's like all the kids' ages all together. It's very healthy. After that, um, the army would, would move through towns and villages and cities and say, your kids are coming with us and we're going to put them in school. The very last village to hold out was uh, Barnstable, Massachusetts. Wow. And the, the army came in at gunpoint, removed kids, American kids, from their house and took them to state-sponsored schools. What year was that? What time was that? Was 1890, 95. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the educational system is not broken. It is doing exactly what it was designed to do with ruthless efficiency. It's not broken at all. The, the falsehood is for a parent who thinks that the job of the educational system is to educate their child. It's not. It takes roughly 100 hours for a child 
to develop all of the reading, writing, arithmetic, basic history, even that is completely subjective, mm-hmm. you know, according to like William Wallace, you know, how many books brave, have been burned? Yeah. Right, right, exactly. History yeah. is told. History in, in uh, Braveheart. History is written by those who hanged heroes. Oh, such a great movie. Yeah, that's in my top five of all time. I just got yeah, chills. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's, it's, it's a well, it, and and right now it's a tutorial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now it's yeah. a how to. So parents have a a, a very common illusion, um, and in some cases a fantasy, that the job of the school system is to educate. It's absolutely not what the job is to do. Uh, the job is to uh, divide. The job is to dumb down. The job of the educational system is to confuse and overwhelm because topics are presented that have no apparent connection to each other. And so what the child learns very quickly is that learning is complicated. I'm dumb. Let me learn from the teacher. So it's a mechanism of control. Um, even Robert Kiyosaki was on to something when he talked about preparing the schools, preparing for industrial factory workers. Yeah. That is, that is, that is a euphemism. That is an absolutely optimistic way of looking at it. It is actually designed to keep people stupid. The default of a human being is genius, but genius has become so rare that it's celebrated. But the actual natural state of a human being is a genius until it gets tampered with until it gets bastardized, confused, diluted, fractured. And then people make it out and they go, I didn't turn out so bad. I'm like, can you play a musical instrument? No. Yeah. Can you fight? No. Can you throw a ball? Can you run? Can you, can you carry somebody your body weight half a mile? Can you, do you know how to cook food? Do you know how to hunt? Do you know how to write a poem? Do you know how to write a movie? Do you, okay, then you didn't turn out all right. When, when's the last time you laid on your back in a field looking mm-hmm. at the stars? I bet you yeah. somebody right now is like, it's been 20 years yes, watching us. Right. It's been 20 right. years since I've had the presence to do that right. emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, financially. Like, am I full? Am I, are my cups full or not? I mean, the yeah. financial might be full and overflowing, right. but the rest of the things that, that allow you and I to connect and make us human, those might be starving. Those might right. be just dry, like yes. a, the Sahara desert. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so the school system is not broken. It is performing with magnificent efficiency. And so the, for, for a parent who recognizes this, then they're, then they're left with, okay, well, shit, what do I do? You know, because maybe it's homeschooling, maybe it's not. Maybe it's pod learning. Maybe it's a couple of families all just pulling their resources, hiring a teacher and saying, we want all of our kids to learn together. Here's what we want the curriculum to be. We want them to have 15% of their time structured. The rest of the time is up to them. And you just kind of keep them safe and watch their tendencies and put resources in their way to let them discover it. And if they don't go for it, take the resource away. How important is, I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this. I think I've heard you talk about it as well. How important is... um Safe danger, <laughs> allowing it's critical allowing kids to be in dangerous situations, yes. but like with elbow pads and a helmet. You yes, know? a lot of these helicopter parenting that you know they come from a great place. I mean, I've seen people in my immediate family and my exterior family helicopter around their children and not let them play on things, and the kids end, end up getting hurt anyways. Right, <laughs> you know, it's right. like kids will hurt themselves, and I, myself as a parent too. So, right. how much of that of safe danger is is important? Yeah, this is this is such an important topic um, because every a, every every healthy, rational adult um, is only limited in their life by two things, creativity and courage. That's it. 
those are the bookends of human experience. And so if your creativity and your courage shrink, then your whole life experience becomes less. If your creativity increases and your courage increases, then the entire scope of what you're able to experience in life increases. So encourage, cliche as it sounds, courage is not the absence of fear. It is action in the face of fear. And so for a child who never experiences a, da- a truly dangerous moment, they never become fully human. They grow up to become the, the human equivalent of a domesticated houseplant that requires care and feeding and watering. And you become dependent on others, not in an interdependent way. And so the school system and, and this, this helicopter culture be safe, be safe, be safe. Take a shower and hand sanitizer. And yeah, all the worst this. is emails from people. Be safe. I always respond. From what? Be safe from what? Right, exactly. Yeah. I say, be safe. No, I'll be yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. Safety yeah. third. That's, that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so danger is critical. And uh, I believe that the role of a parent is to continually live in a way where you're confronting your own fears. Because little lion cub is going to be watching that. And then if you are continually doing things that are exciting and engaging and fun, your child's going to find their own edge. And you're over here and you're like, come on. And they're like, I can. You're like, okay. And you just keep going. Watch them jump. Watch them take the leap. And then yeah. they get the reward of, of, of actually having courage. So it, it is essential uh, for, for kids to have dangerous experiences. Richard Branson tells a great story about being four or five years old. He was, his mom was driving. He's in the back seat. She stops the car and she says, Richard, do you know where we are? And he looks around. He's like, I think so. She's like, do you think you can get home? And he's like, yes. She's like, good. Get out. Like a mile from home. So little Richard Branson gets out mom takes off two hours later he makes his way into his house i love that that's powerful you know it reminds me i I, it's fresh on my heart from the quest two guys that have 40 plus years experience leading men and women deep in the wilderness fasting through really emotional thresholds um and and a lot of men don't have these rites of passage it's an art form that um ben greenfield sends his kids to tim Aubrey Marcus inter- introduced me to Tim Corcoran. I really trust Tim and Mark as guides in the, in the wilderness. I think they're at the top of the food chain. We'll link Purpose Mountain and some of my experiences there. But the reason I'm sharing that is because there was some 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids in there. And you could tell they had never mm-hmm. been dropped off a mile from yeah. home. Yeah. And they were, they were, their souls, Jesse, were yearning for the rite of passage. Yes. yes. There's something inside of us that's just like, please give me a rite of passage. Please give me something to create meaning and strength and courage to develop right. this in my life. Right. right. We have lost touch yeah. with the ancient way of being where they would send 13-year-old boys out overnight with no food. Correct. And you would have to come back feeding yourself, clothing yourself, taking care of yourself. Yeah. How do we, how do you see that being in modern day society? How do we take that ancient wisdom 
how do we how do we do this? I mean, maybe this segues into freedom farms and and whatever you feel more about education and and the road ahead with what's to come, which I believe could probably be a lot darker than most people think that's coming. So how do you, how do yeah. you see that coming to fruition? Yeah, well, uh, nature is perfect. I mean, the, the there are no lies in nature, and mm. on a long enough timeline, everything makes sense. And so when let's let's take an indigenous culture that in, intentionally put these rites and rituals and routines in place because they knew what life required. And so they front loaded those protocols yes. and those structured experiences for their youth to then have this thing to be prepared for real life. But even if we don't do that, nature knows what she's doing. Nature is like, Oh, Oh, cool. Y'all aren't doing that here. <laughs> And so that's what we're experiencing right now. We're experiencing the end of all the old stories and the beginning of something that's never been written before. So to make this tactical and, and, you know, if you're hearing this and watching this, this is the the, uh, beginning of April, 2022. And you can hear this through the lens of fear. You can hear this through the lens of curiosity. You can hear it through the lens of disbelief. You can hear it through a lens of, of inspiration to be inspired to do something. Um, we are in a, in a absolute black swan, perfect storm that humanity has never experienced before. And I'm specifically talking about food. The fifth largest producer of grain just invaded the fourth largest producer of grain, which means there is going to be no harvest exported if there's even a harvest at all. Point number one. Point number two, Russia is responsible for a significant portion of the ingredients in fertilizer that is used all around the world. Russia is not exporting now. Um, they're, they're sanctioned, so they're not couldn't export if they wanted to. Um, but they're, they're taking care of themselves right now. And what that has created is another domino where uh, the price of these ingredients for fertilizer, nitrogen, potassium, potash, etc., there's one particular ingredient. I don't remember if it's potash or, or, or nitrogen has gone from $200 to a thousand dollars for this, this batch of, and I don't know what the batch is. Uh, it might be a ton. I'm not in, I don't recall, but it's very easy to find 200 to thousand. Now, what does that mean? And how does this get back to a rite of passage? We'll get yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if a farmer is used to spending, let's say $200 to get, enough fertilizer to cover X number of acres. And now that same fertilizer costs $1,000. That means the farmer is going to produce 20% of the food that they produced last year. Then you have fuel costs being added onto that. And as recent as a week and a half ago, you have the United States government, Canadian government, both uh, Biden and Trudeau, go on camera and tell the entire country food shortages are coming. So this is not like it's a secret conspiracy thing. The uh, supposed leaders of, of these countries are looking at the camera and saying food shortages are coming. Now, Trudeau uh, has an incredible plan for how to handle it. His plan is we're going to get through this together. Like we always do, we're going to be here for each other. That's the plan. Cool. That really worked out with the truckers. Oh, fantastically! Yeah, and Great everything job, else. Trudeau. And then, and then Biden, 
the administration was questioned in a in a uh, in an interview, is is food shortage something you're worried about? And the the aide who is answering the question said, yes, it's a top focus. Is it, and what are we going to do about it? We're working on it. We'll get back to you. Okay, cool. So we have a looming food shortage that is. I, I'm open from for anybody who's ever watching this to to help me to understand how it won't happen. Um, but I don't see that that's possible. So this is what is currently happening. It is a, a slow-moving disaster that cannot be reversed, um, at least for a couple of years. And so what that's then creating is lots of opportunities. For people who do not want to accept responsibility for their own food sovereignty, for people who do not want to even think about this and instead wait to see what happens, there is a historically 100% chance that they will end up in food lines. And so food, what food there is, will be rationed and you will uh, get the food if you've got the secret thing in your, in your arm and that's that's a great thing if you're if you're a controller mm-hmm. a so-called leader and you would like people to do what you say well food is how you control the population so for people to hear this and go oh shoot so like how soon is this going to happen well i think we're from the time of this recording and i don't know when this is going to be published so i hate to be month okay yeah so so by the time you're listening to this um i think we'll have a couple of weeks before it begins to enter the more of the collective consciousness and people start to go, oh, oh, I should take this seriously, which is when people will begin buying in mass. Yeah. And at that moment, you're going to, you're going to start to see um, some, some unrest. How long have you been studying this? How, when did this first awaken inside of you, this awareness? Um, the, this exact scenario and this possibility, uh, the first time I sort of wargamed it in my own mind was 1999. I read a book called The Sovereign Individual, which... Totally changed, Ugh, changed Robert my life. Breedlove just told me about this. It's, I just started reading it. Check it. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. It's very, they very dense. Predicted a lot of things that have occurred. Yeah. yeah. In 99. Yeah. So I saw that coming, um, not exactly the way this played out, but in 2020, when the, when the, the, the uh, COVID theater started. I call it COVID theater as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Theater. That's phenomenal. It's like, welcome well, to well the done. show. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Excellent, excellent. You know who's missing, though? The cast of characters, uh, Fauci. He's nowhere to be found. Oh yeah, that's he's, right. Anyways, probably, he's retired. Probably, probably ascended to sainthood or something. Yeah. Um, so when in 2020, when this, like in February, I just like my spider sense started tingling. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And so I just started buying food. Just every time I was at the store, I would just get a little extra. What kind of food are you buying? Um, let's. Well, I'll give a full. Okay. Uh, like some some tactical tips uh, for everybody. But, but the, the long story short, back to the rites of passage. If, if somebody hears this and they're like, okay, cool, um, I'm going to become more food sovereign. I am going to see how much more of our family's food we can source from people we know, from local farmers, local butchers, etc. And I'm going to create a, a value exchange so that I become more important to these people. And if it plays out the way that I have envisioned it in, in the more sober um, moments of, of my my planning uh, we're gonna we're gonna see armed guards at, at the grocery stores um, 
you know, you may see this is already happening in some grocery stores, but you know how you go to like buy a uh, like if you got buy an Xbox at, at Best Buy and it's got the security wire around mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. that's going to be around meat. You're going to have you're going to have security devices around steaks because the price of beef is going to go through the roof. Um, meat's going to go through the roof, and that is also also it's part of a beautiful design. Like if you want people to um, lower their testosterone levels and mm-hmm. decrease their cognitive function, then you deprive them of animal fats. Mm-hmm. And so phenomenal. If you want to foster- Spoken from an ex-vegan. Right. I was vegetarian for 13 years and yeah. loved it. Absolutely loved it. And one morning I, or one night I had dreamed that I had a cheeseburger and I was like, oh, let me try it. So I did it. My body was like, yay, welcome back. So, and, and I've got like one of my best clients is an absolute beast of a human. You look at this dude, you'd be like, this is a fucking gorilla. And he's plant hundred percent plant-based has been for years. So the, 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 the um, bio individuality that we each have, there is no right or wrong way to eat. True. It's only what's right for, for the individual. True. Um, but in mass and throughout history, culture, every single culture on the planet has had animal fats as a staple in their diet. Um, until industrial farming and, and fiat food and everything came around. So back to rite of passage, if somebody's watching this and they're like, you know what, I'm going to be more responsible for, for myself because I don't want to be part of a food riot. I don't want to be part of a food line. So I'm going to take care of myself. That choice and the behaviors that come from that choice are a rite of passage. And so these cycles are always happening whether we choose to participate with them consciously or not, it's totally up to us. There is a, I was just reading a, a great book, uh, Natural Born Heroes by Christopher McDougall. McDougall, I think is his name. Um, and there was a, a story in there about a volcano that exploded in the, in the, the uh, Caribbean, I think. I don't, man, I could be butchering this. Bottom line is 29,000 people died in a population of 30,000 people. Very few people had the presence of mind to notice what was going on because there was an election that was happening. And the elected officials that morning were saying, oh, everything's fine. Our, our seismologist and our geologist said, everything's fine. Remember to vote. So everybody's distracted by this thing. Whether they knew it was going to happen or not is irrelevant, but they were definitely thinking about themselves. And the only people that survived were people that were willing to think different do what everybody else wasn't. And they're literally the only ones that got off the island. Mm. And Sovereign Individual talked about this too in Rome, where the morning that Rome fell, yeah. you had officials. Yeah. I remember I just I was yeah. just listening to this yeah. in the car yesterday. Yeah. The officials in Rome were saying, oh no, everything's fine. Right. Rome hasn't been sacked. Right. Rome is fine. Right. Rome is still all powerful. Yes. But nobody noticed because shit had been so fucked up for so long right. that people just assumed, eh, I guess they're telling the truth. Right. But Rome had already fallen. Right. So this is the same paradigm that you're speaking about. Well, and the, and the, the American empire is over. People don't understand this. The The era of American dominance and influence is, is gone. And whether the Republic, and I, and I'm, I realize this is getting into a lot of different areas. Um, I, I think we, we are at the end of the, the era of the nation state, this idea, this experiment of centralized power structures that have a monopoly on violence, that have a uh, monopoly on their language um, that have very recognizable corporate logos, red, white, and blue in, in this case. Um, 
th- that is only a, you're only able to do that if you have uh, centralized violence controlling physical wealth. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the points in sovereign individual is that as physical wealth began to change to non-physical wealth data, and because of the miracle of encryption, the same computational power that it takes to encode something requires many thousands of times the same computational power to untangle, which basically means you can make wealth disappear and place it beyond the reach of the parasites. The parasites know this. And so they thought, well, let's throw a big, big old pandemic so we can get everybody into this digital corral. So we have digital IDs, we have um, social credit scores, we have uh, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, so that we control this Fed coin, programmable currency, as long as your social credit score is acceptable, you can buy what you want. Um, as long as it's what we tell you, uh, you may go to Whole Foods three years from now. If this is the system you're playing in, if you don't, if you don't take the rites of passage to become, yeah. to, if you become, don't heed the call, right, mm-hmm. right, right. And and I have no judgment about it. Like this, every human being gets to make their own choice. Um, I just see the divergence that, that's happening. So somebody, maybe six, seven years from now, may, maybe less, will go to Whole Foods, and they'll go to to uh, swipe their card. And a little blinking, you know, happy face will come up and say, you've already bought a steak this month. So here's your other choices. Would you like a cricket steak? Would you like a, a worm steak made with mealworms? Would you like an impossible burger? These are your choices. Mm. But you already bought a steak this month. And you, you've exceeded your carbon credits, which is absolute horseshit. Mm-hmm. But that's if you participate in the structured system. Right, right, which overwhelmingly most people will yeah. and already are. Mm-hmm. So, um it, the the further the further the gap, the tougher it's going to be to make the jump. Um and so I think right now is a critical time. Right. It's exciting. It's not just doom and gloom. Like for sure in my heart chakra I feel heaviness mm-hmm. and I also feel excitement ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. I was just like, what is this existential tension I feel all the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are you adults going to jobs you hate? Why right. are you bickering with each other? Right. What is this madness? Right. You know, like Neo pulling the right. cable out of his head and the gooey pod. I'm like, there is something wrong here. And I knew yes. it at the earliest of yes. ages. So I actually, and I was talking to my brother James about this. I welcome this war. I do. Yeah. I welcome it. I don't welcome violence. It's not right. something that I condone. Like... But God, like when you protect a child, like if somebody attacked my child, I would defend my child to the death. There's a, a out of love. There's a loving defense. Yeah, love isn't always being on a mountain with hands together, head bowed. Mm-hmm. Love sometimes means that you take matters into your hands, that you are properly trained in firearms, right. that you're knowing physically how to move your body away mm-hmm. from threat. Like it's important. It's important for us to talk about this. And and if somebody makes the choice for whatever their reason is that they're going to enter your home, for example, and they're going to, yes. they're going to harm your child or your partner, or they're going to take your food or whatever. If they, if whatever life circumstances and whatever their interpretation of their events, because everybody's doing this yeah, has led them to the point where that's the option they now see, they understand that they are taking a risk. And so I can only speak for myself in this. If somebody were to enter uh, my home, I don't have a home right now, but if, when I have a home, or let's say the farm, somebody somebody enters the farm and they're and they're intent on harming me, 
or harming somebody that I'm somebody that's under my you know protection, then a nonviolent response is is natural, because you know JFK I think said that, that whoever holds you, know, you must play fairly when you hold the winning hand, and so that's mm, so that's just like yeah. music. It's yeah. like music to yeah. hear that. So if somebody is coming in with the intent to harm and damage, then they're they're really setting the the tone. So if I can take a nonviolent approach, then of course I want to do that. Yeah, because you can't reverse violence. Like it's a it's a one way thing. Um, and that being said, if somebody is communicating in the language of violence, it is a it is a language. Um, then I I would prefer to be fluent. I would prefer to have a, a communication in in that language. And if somebody has decided that they're going to enter my home and do harm to somebody that I love, somebody I care about, or me, then I am completely at peace with fulfilling my role in the creation of a consequence, which is very natural based on their choices. And so if somebody's choosing to jump off a cliff and end their life, there's nothing in nature that's going to stop. I mean, there's weird freak occurrences. You know, some yeah. dude jumped off a cliff in Hawaii to kill himself. The wind came in from the ocean, blew him right back up to the top. So there's those moments. Yes. But if somebody's intent is to is to kill and damage, then they can't be surprised when that also happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not looking for that, and I don't. I don't, and neither are you. I mean, it's it's yeah. being aware that that's a possibility, but like it's not. It's a it's a valid point because I'm not one of these people that's like putting my guns on Instagram and right. you know you know touting how how skilled I am. I mean I'm still learning how to use firearms appropriately, but but I know there's an intuitiveness that's that's been activated actually long before we moved to Texas. We moved to Texas in the early 2020 21, and and way before this talk about food shortage and and have you on the podcast. Like I've been feeling this swell building for quite some time, and I don't think we've actually seen the whitewater yet no. from. COVID and no. lockdowns and, no. and mask wearing and bullshit. I think it's actually still building. Right. So this is like a call to loving arms, mm-hmm. right? It's a call to loving arms to, and I want to hear a little bit more about food before we, before we round out, get your food, right? Get your firearms, right? Get your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual practices, right? Mm-hmm. Get your community, right? Most important right there is community. And, and, and just make sure all those categories are right. And by right, I just mean that you are an interconnected part that adds and receives value. Mm-hmm. And then from there, nature will support you. Yes. Nature will love you. Yes. Uh, Mark, one of my guides on the quest said, the earth will never lie to you, but the earth knows when you lie to it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. And my whole body lights up when I share that with you because I'm like, everything I just said about those areas that need love and support and 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 really fortification, we know this without being in crisis. Right. We know that all those things are important without being in crisis. Right. So can you go just a little bit more into the education about the food and freedom farms? Yeah. How far is it outside Austin? Like, what are you doing with the CSA? Sure. How can people model that uh, in yeah. their towns as yeah. well? This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings. 
especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is going to allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, (laughs) as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Can you go just a little bit more to the education about the food and freedom farms? Yeah. How far is it outside Austin? Like, what are you doing with the CSA? Sure. How can people model that uh, in yeah. their towns as yeah. well? And, and I, that's, the, that's the most important part. Um, I'm far from an expert in it. I'm learning all the time. Um, and, and I want to link it to something you mentioned a couple of times about, you know, this, this like war that we're in and this call to arms. And... I just released a video about this a couple of days ago, um, how to deal with bullies and tyrants. And the, the, the language that controllers speak is the language of fear. And so they are expecting opposition. They're expecting pushback. They're mm-hmm. expecting protest. They're expecting all of that. What they're terrified of is being ignored. What they're terrified of is not being needed and relevant and so when you're growing your own food and you could say, nah, y'all, you're doing your food line, your cricket burgers. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my stuff over here. And they're like, you have to use the universal basic income and we're going to use fed coin. And you're like, nah, I'm good. I'll be over here on Zion. I'll be over here. And with, with my completely parallel economy, Yeah, black markets matter. I'll be over here in this with all my friends and the people that I trust but your kids can't go to school if you don't do this. Good. <laughs> you know, it's like one by one, you're like, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Yeah. But that that's a rite of passage in itself. Yep. So when when I uh, acquired this property in, in the summer of 2020, it was just such a strong feeling. Like, I just have to do this. Um, I've never had property before. I've been nomadic a lot of my life and, and love the freedom of that, but it was so, so clear. I also know, and I knew then, and I know now that I am not the guy who is supposed to be in the ground doing the thing. I do sometimes and I enjoy it and I love it, but I also know that there's a different game that I'm supposed to be playing. Mm. So as we just have continued to attract just an amazing team. So we have uh, Orion. Uh, Orion Black is the team leader, and he is responsible for everything. So he and I connect on a on a conceptual level, philosophical level. Like we're we have a, a wonderful and developing relationship. And his genius is taking the vision that I'm seeing and and asking for his feedback on, and then translating that to the team. So then we have. Darren is a produce manager and we have Ann who's the orchard manager or the animal manager. And then we will have an orchard manager and then they've got people under them. So this whole thing is just very entrepreneurially coming to life. 
And then the CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, is a group of people that have already said, hey, we're in, and this is how much we want, and this is how, we, you know, we, we just tell them this is what we're going to be producing, yeah. and they go check, 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 check. They, you know, pay a, a very fair price for the quality of the food. In Bitcoin? Um, it's, it's either uh, Bitcoin or metal. Amazing. Yeah. 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 We're moving away from fiat. Yeah. That, that shit's dying. Awesome. Yeah. So on, on a practical level, somebody watching this is like, okay, get to the food shortage piece. Like, what do I do? Well, get three months of food. Like, it's very, very simple. Yeah. Um, a, a very loose rule of thumb, but it's good for, for doing some of the bigger math. A million calories per year per adult. Mm. That's practical. It's very simple. Yeah. And then just divide it down by you know how many days you want to be prepared for. Um, I did a program a couple of months ago called uh, Global Prep Club. And it was like last, I don't even want to say when it was. It might have been October, November. Um, and we talked about this million calories per person per year. And then you have your existing food that is... is um, it's got an expiration date that goes out a couple of years that can be freeze dried. There's a lot of great companies. Um, although the nutritional value of that is questionable, Yeah, but calories first, sure. You know, this is like insurance. So are we talking about grains here? Like yeah. rice? Or? Yeah. So, so there's, there's a few different categories. You, you have, um, freeze dried, which you can do your own if you want to, you know, get, get a freeze dryer and it's a cool, cool, um, home project to do, or go to a company like Mountain House or Augerson Farms. And I don't have any affiliation with them, but I have a lot of their stuff and you can get scrambled eggs and you can get shredded beef and you can get chicken and onions and powdered butter and all this kind of stuff. It supposedly retains 90 something percent of its nutritional value, even though it's an electrically dead food, um, but it, it will handle your calories. The second thing is you can do bulk. So bulk rice, yeah. flour, corn, um, oats, seed or wheat you can for sprouting and just get these 50 pound bags and get them on Amazon and just those will stack for a long time. Then you have canned and canned is, you know, it's canned is canned, but as an augmentation to whatever fresh produce you're going to be growing, whatever fresh meat you're going to be procuring, um, it's a wonderful addition. And it, what it does is it pushes out what we call your food horizon. So you just look at what is the date at which your current stores will run out if you were only using your current stores. So if you're using 100% of your, if 100% of your daily calories are coming from your supply, uh, what we call your food library, if you build a food library and then you have a food horizon, that will just tell you 2750 calories per day per adult. Um, and it's just a math. Are you also plugging in refrigerated and frozen foods into the food horizon equation? You can, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or are you, are you assuming, I don't know, maybe you can expand on yeah. this. Are you assuming that if there is the food shortage, and this is pontification, that, that would also interrupt the grid? Good question. Well? Really good question. Um, in, in our, our community and, and, the, and the people that I've coached on this, there's, there's different levels of preparedness. So I recommend and I'm, and I personally started with the absolute worst case scenario which is total grid down no power yeah. right so you have no power no refrigeration and you you need to eat so having canned bulk freeze dried and uh, preserved um, you know uh, pickled preserved etc build your food library with that as your foundation yeah because it will last a long time and then you can augment it. So the next level up is to have frozen. So you just get a deep freezer, a couple hundred bucks, stack it with meat, 
fill it with meat. All the other stuff is going to be easier to get. Meat is going to be the hardest thing to get if, if things go this way. And I don't see how they won't. I'm, a, I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Yeah. Um, so fill a, a deep freezer with meat. So no power needed power for that. Have a generator that is uh, running on solar. There's tons of great one out there. Find a generator. Also get a dual purpose generator that runs on fuel and propane. Propane will store indefinitely. Fuel can store for a couple of years with a fuel stabilizer put in. And then you just rotate it out. So, Do you have a... I've heard Jackery is really good for the... I don't personally have one, but I, I know generator. people that have gotten it. Okay. Um, Got it. So there, and this that. can be... I'm, I'm feeling the audience right now. Like This can be a troubling conversation to have. So like it's yeah. okay if you feel uncomfortable right. you know, while well, we're talking it's, about it's this. It's, it's natural. All right. it's, it's, a, natural. It's, it's a sign that you're going through a rite of passage yes. if you even want to. Yes. And I, I recognize... I mean, if I would have been listening to myself, let's say three years ago in 2019 and thinking that now I'm going to be like this recognized voice in resilience and preparedness, <laughs> I would be like, bro, I don't want to attract that in my reality. Yes. You know? And <laughs> That's so true. That's so yeah, honest. Yeah. And then, but now here I am and I'm like, well, uh, I can not want it all I want, Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm put on earth to be a leader. That is the reason I was born. And the only way I can lead is through example which means I'm only as good as my last leading edge experience. I'm only as good as the last time I tested my courage or expanded my creativity. So then sharing the invitation for somebody to say, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have been to Burning Man. So when you go to Burning Man, part of what makes it such a kick-ass experience is the first principle, radical responsibility. Like you are responsible for yourself and it's the desert and you can die out there. So don't die. Bring food, bring water, bring shelter. And the environment that's created because everybody out there is self-reliant opens up so much freedom and so much creativity and so much connection because there's zero entitlement. Mm -hmm. You know that not a single person is going to come to you and say, hey man, can you please give me? No. <laughs> I, I want to give because I want to give, not because you need it. That's a very imbalanced way of, of living. Nothing in nature does that except for humans. Yeah. So you can think about this as an invitation. It's like just because in our lifetime, most of us haven't experienced the need to be self-reliant doesn't mean that it's not an amazing life upgrade. Mm -hmm. It's like martial arts. You train martial arts initially, maybe so you can defend yourself. But once you get your competence up to a certain level, like, I, I can't imagine walking into a room and being afraid that there's somebody in there that can physically hurt me. Once that box is checked and you're like, wow, I don't fear anybody. Huh. Then you just keep training because it's fun. You train because it's, you learn about yourself. You train because it's a better quality of life. Same thing with, with resilience and being prepared. With all the things up for all of us, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one, I still don't fully understand. Every once or twice a year, I will have so much energy going through my body, and I don't know what it is. Like it, it's uh, this is, all the astrologers are shouting out things. Yeah, I'm it's sure. Your fourth house. I'm, with I'm this sure. Thing. I'm sure, and I'm I'm open to that. But at yeah. the same time, it's like. It, it, what it feels like is, is getting upgrades. 
uh-huh. is all I can explain. Like I'm just laying there and my body is just like this restless, crazy energy. My thoughts are swirling a mile a minute. It's very prophetic. I, I see things. And this yeah. is a man who in, in, in earlier in life, you had anxiety. Oh yeah, that yeah. was something that you've yeah. moved through, that you've worked through. Yeah. So you know the difference now. From yeah, this embodiment. is not. This is not anxiety. It's not anxiety. No. It's no. It's just it's getting dosed with some extraterrestrial level of just something, and on the backside of it is always profound equanimity, calm, and clarity. So I just accept it when it happens. I don't know what causes it. Maybe one day I'll figure it out. So that's one thing that keeps me up. Uh, it's pretty pretty weird. Um, no, other other than then, actually one more. I will sometimes in if I feel that I'm drifting a little too close to mainstream comfort levels. Like I'll, oh I've, I'll watch a movie. Oh that's cool, and then oh well, let me just read a book and that's cool. And oh let me mess around social media. Okay that's cool. And it's like you know ten o'clock at night. I'm laying in bed, and I'll realize that wow. Like this is this is the beginning of the end, <laughs> you know. This yeah. is this is like how you kind of get seduced into being basically yeah. not not fully embodied human. So I will sometimes get up and just go for a walk. I'll go for a hike. I'll go for a two o'clock in the morning motorcycle ride. And um, these are also the features of not currently being in a relationship. So there's there's that. Um, yeah. But sometimes I will inoculate myself on purpose against fear and stress. So I will go deep into the rabbit hole and the research on, let's say, the Holodomor, which is a famine that occurred in Ukraine in 1932 and 33. Uh, Stalin starved 10 million, maybe maybe many more. Ukrainians to death just cut off their supply chain, and they just starved. Um, it was awful. They There were signs everywhere in the villages reminding people that it is not legal to eat your neighbor. That'll keep you up at night. Yeah. And the and the pictures and the stories and everything. And I will do that to inoculate myself, not to harden myself, but to go fully through it so that I can both from a tactical perspective be more sober, because fear is just a sobering agent. That's that's what fear does. It just electrifies you. Mm. It narrows your focus. What you do with it is up to you, but that's fear's job is to make you present. So I'll use that that fear to double check my my plans and my supplies and my relationships and my community and my team. Um, the same way that you know, if you see storm clouds on the horizon, you just go and like, okay, shutters are good, shutters are good. Maybe it doesn't storm, but if it does, yeah, I'll be glad I did this. Uh, but then the other thing that I'll do is just meditate on these this time in history and these souls that are all participating in their unique way and. Um, I really see this from, from many dimensions, um, that even the ones who seem to play these opposing roles, you know, these paid scientists and doctors. They're still playing their part. Well, they're doing fantastic. And I just imagine all of us in like the spiritual green room before we were born and we're like, love and light, love and light. What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm going to be love and light. I'm going to go down there. And I just imagine, you know, some politician or some dictator saying, all right, you're going to be love and light. I'll tell you what, I'll help you because you can only be light if there's dark. There's only Luke Skywalker if you got Darth Vader. So I'll be Darth Vader this time. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be doing what I think is the right thing. 
by controlling you. And then that way you can experience freedom. Cool. And we're like, all right, high five behind the, the curtain. And mm. then we're born. Sounds like a DMT trip. It's uh can be. <laughs> can be. Mine, are, mine, are, mine are a little different than that. On yeah. one side, on one side, there's like this cynical pessimism. It's like, well, the world's fucked. Nothing we do could ever. And I, I understand that because maybe that's them playing out their role. But on the other side, Jesse, like, and, and I, quote Alan Watts all the time because I love him so much and I love his teachings. I don't know him as a person. When I say I love him, I mean, I yeah. love the way that he articulates value mm. and, and worthiness in the world, how he did. And he said that nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. So anytime sodium, potassium, high, low pressure, mm-hmm. chaos, order, anytime mm-hmm. we're in a vacuum, nature is going to do everything she can to collapse the vacuum. Yes. Yes. So, dude, we're in a yes. pretty fucking intense vacuum right now. And, and it's wonderful. So, so I, I feel it. You've done it in a, probably one of the best jobs I've ever heard somebody describing what's really going on. And we've had Leslie Manukian on here and Robert Breedlove recently. Like, this has been awesome. But, but you know, on the other side of the vacuum, there's love. Yeah. There's love. There, there's neighbors caring for one another. There's us meeting on the farm. There's so many beautiful things that come from this vacuum that we couldn't have unless Fauci and his cronies put us through this two-year right. theater. Right. Can you expand on that? Yes. Uh, I, you, you said it perfectly, that, that th- these roles seem to oppose, but really it, it's still just information. And, yeah. and this, is how, this is how we, as, as individuations of, of consciousness, if, if back up a little bit, if consciousness is omnipotent, immortal, timeless, endless, beginningless, just everything that ever is, will be, etc. If that's consciousness, maybe people call it God, they call it source, they call it infinite intelligence, the isness, whatever. If that's it, and there's nothing it's not, where do you go from there? There's only one thing left to do, and that's to create amnesia. <laughs> so then you create this place, maybe a bunch of them, and then you put part of yourself in there. Like if, if next to your chair there, if you had a bucket of ice water and you put your hand, you're like, whoa, that's a different experience, but it's you having that experience. And then there's maybe warm water here and you're like, whoa, now you're getting all this contrast and you as a being are experiencing through your different limbs, all this contrast and your experience expands. And then maybe somebody's giving you a shoulder massage. You're like, wow. And then somebody's like feeding you chocolate. You're like, wow. And there's all, you're just having this intense expansion because of all this contrast. Well, if that's, if God is everything and there's nothing that God's not, then the only way you can grow is to create an environment where part of you can go into and forget that you're God. So then that's the soul and we're part of God and we're born and we remember for a little while. And then after a couple months, we forget and we absorb and we assimilate into our family, our society, or the vibration of this planet. But you can never totally forget because as long as your heart is beating and you have life spark in your body, you're never not connected. And the larger part of you is non-physical. Most of you doesn't have a body. And so being here in this physical experience, we're here to observe and create. And we create by feeling our emotions. Our emotions are a constant beacon of, of not only attracting, but also giving feedback. And so our emotions, when we feel good and we feel well-being and we feel just mm, like happy, then we're in alignment with the universal frequency, the, the one song of the universe, universe, one, one song. We're in harmony with that. 
when we don't feel good because of our perception or because of other people's influence that pulls our perception and we don't feel good, it's just a sign that we've gotten away from, from who we really are. And so everything that happens is either a positive experience or it's a negative experience and it has nothing to do with the experience. It has nothing to do with the stimulus, stimulus the, the information, what you see, what you hear. There's nothing that's inherently good or bad. That's a human moral uh, construction. So if we say, I like that, then we call it good. Or we say, I don't like that, and we call it bad. The only reason anything bad exists is so that we can decide what is good. And so if, if I'm experiencing the perception of restriction, then I go, ooh, I don't like that. Well, I can keep giving it my attention which makes it expand. Or I can go, okay, cool, I don't like that. And this must be pretty important, otherwise I wouldn't be feeling such a strong emotion around it. So since I don't like that, what do I want? Ah, I want to feel more confident. I want to feel more free. I want to feel more myself. And I actually want it more now than I've ever wanted it, thanks to this stimulus. This is the antigen. Here's the antibody. And I wouldn't develop these antibodies without the antigen. So thank you for the sand and the oyster that creates the pearl. It would never be there if not for that. So I, I have an absolute massive appreciation for anyone or anything that creates contrast in my experience. Because when like all the mask stuff started and I began to wonder about taxes, I was like, eh. And I began to feel fear and I began to feel uh, concern and overwhelm and all this kind of stuff. And I began to feel infringed upon. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So this is obviously important. Otherwise, I wouldn't be feeling all this emotion. So what do I want? Well, I want to feel like myself. I want to feel free. Da, da, da. And that led me down all this study of the law and all these other things. And if not for that motivation, I wouldn't have studied like 450 hours of the law. But because I did and because I obsessed over it, all of a sudden it was like, oh, I get it. To the point where, you know, when, when I got a, a letter from the IRS last summer, uh, actually from a lawyer that I'd give some money to, he said, you've got an examination officer from the IRS and they want to audit you. I was like, cool, send over what they've got. Because I, I know the truth. I know, I know who I am. And I know that I do not ever break a contract that I'm a part of. I also know that I do not participate in contracts that I'm not a part of. Are you talking about taxes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I pay taxes a hundred percent. Yes. Like I, I, I paid taxes today, put a tank of gas in my motorcycle. And, um, I know that there's a, I don't remember exact percentage, but there's a significant percentage of the money that I paid today. Yes. That goes to tax. When you buy anything, you're yeah. taxed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I do pay taxes. <laughs> yep. I yep. love that. Yep. I got to pause you right there before yep. you go into common law so we can round this out because yep. Jesse, you have so much to give, man. And I, it's interesting. People know you as this high level, uh, really visionary business coach that's helped Garrett way. That's so cool. I didn't know you helped Garrett. And, and I, and I know you've worked with so many people, but it's about frequency. Yes. And I know you've said before, whether you're talking about all is God, that we all are made in the image of God, we come here to forget and then remember and experience life as a part of God, which I 100% agree with. We did a three hour series, actually almost a five hour series with Paul check called all is God. 
So I'm familiar with this concept of no thing and everything at the same time. It's not spiritual pontification either. Like it's something that I've felt in journeys. It's something that I feel that's the truth when you share it. So I'm really grateful that you shared that. But, you know, the big, the big question for all of us is to exit the matrix, we first have to know all the tentacles and the, the common law and growing your own food and the community aspect and all these different pieces. It can be overwhelming for people, I feel like, for the majority of us. And I, I felt it too. You even said in, when it first came on, you were like, okay, I'm feeling this emotion because it's so intense. It's offering me yeah. the gift to, to discover why I'm feeling this emotion. Someone right now is with us and they're like, possibly I'm going to speak to them. And, I, and can you please speak to them? They're feeling that sense of overwhelm, which might turn into sadness or grief. What do they do from that place? Because tactically, I know what you're going to share. Well, I don't know what you're going to share. <laughs> I know you'll share about common law and, and things like that. But, but from an emotional standpoint, from a frequency standpoint, because yeah. you say you leash your frequency, yeah. how do people first be at peace, recognize, assimilate, and then where do they go from there emotionally? Yeah. They're, they're very, very connected, actually. Um, so if, if somebody experiences fear or 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 unrest in themselves when hearing about some of the, the things that we've talked about or that we're going to talk about. My, my invitation and my, my request for somebody would be to just like put your hand on your solar plexus or your heart and just go, I'm here. I'm here. I'm good. Like I am, I am an individual having a human experience and I'm safe. I mean, if you look around you, if you got the if you got the presence of mind to watch this and listen to this, you're probably not being chased by a tiger, you know. Yeah. And if you are, massive props, you know, like thank you. That's multitasking. Facebook Live it if you can. This watching, is great. Watching wellness wisdom by being chased by a right, tiger, man. Right, come on, right. But the chances are you're not immediately under any sort of physical threat. What that leaves is imagination and memory. Mm. And so when you become truly present, you're always safe. The present moment is always safe. And you become very aware of the thoughts that are outside of the truth of safety. And then you can say, is that useful? Is it useful for me to think that I'm not safe? Because the reality is you are. So start there. And then when it comes to um, breaking free of the matrix, it, it is very, very simple. If somebody, if somebody knocked on your door today, and and you open the door and you don't know who this person is, but they're dressed in like a you know uh, like a like a jacket and a tie and maybe they have a little pin and you know they look very presentable and very kind of formal. And they say hi, Josh. You don't know me, but um, I would I have a map of the neighborhood here, and w- there's actually a circle that I drew around your house, and what I decided is that anybody who lives inside that circle. Um, has to has to give me like ten percent of your income. Now, what would be your response to this person you've never met, you don't know, who arbitrarily produces a map with a circle on it and says, "You're inside my circle." I first would ask, "Who are you and where are you from?" Uh huh. And then I would say, "Get the fuck off!" Right, right. <laughs> my Be- doorstep. <laughs> right, because innately yeah. you know that all human beings are created equal. Mm-hmm. And no human being has more rights than another human being. Yes. Another way of saying that is that person one 
has zero more rights than, than individual number two. So they leave and they're all upset because you didn't do what they told you to do because they have no authority to tell you anything. They didn't create you, therefore they can't control you. Next day they come back and they've got a friend who's also dressed very presentably and they match and like look great. This reminds me of the Sopranos. You know, the mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're very similar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so they present the same map and they say, look, we, we both agree that this circle, you got to do what we tell you. Well, you're doing the math in your head and you're thinking, okay, well, guy number one has zero more rights than me. Guy number two has zero more rights than me. Zero plus zero, still zero. Fuck off. So they leave and there's nothing they can do because you don't have an agreement with these people. You never agreed to anything. They showed up in your experience and presumed to have created this fictional circle, which only exists, only is valid in their mind. And they're just asking you to agree. And you're like, no, no, thanks. That peacefully. And, and that simply because you know that, no, you might play the game and say, well, what's in it for me? How do I benefit? Um, they might threaten you. You know, they might say, if you don't, then we're going to kill you. Now you have a new choice to make, you know, okay, do I fight back? Do I, you know, what do I do? But you still know that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a basic understanding. Now, what if a hundred of them get together and they call themselves uh, legislature and they all agree among themselves that we have this fictitious circle and we're going to call it, um, Josh land. And then they come to you and say, look, you live inside of Josh land. You need to do what we say. Well, a hundred times zero is still zero. And so this is where you, the, the individual gets to kind of be tested a little bit because most people have little to no ability to stand up for what they believe in when there are more people who disagree with them. And so most people would, not, not would, they do. Most people do go along with the majority because at the end of the day, what we want is connection mm -hmm. and we want to be safe. So it takes a phenomenally strong individual in the, in the sea of a thousand people who are all going one way to stay where they're at or to go the other direction. Especially if those people get very loud and then they sound very official and then they're making all these noises and all this kind of stuff. But there's an innate knowing that we all have, that we are part of the natural world. Uh, taxation does not exist in nature. It is impossible. It's mm -hmm. ludicrous to think about. Imagine the, a Canadian goose flying from you know Vancouver to Seattle, and all the trees are like, hey, 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 stop, stop. Like this, stupid to think about. Yes, everything in nature operates in perfect harmony. If it doesn't, it doesn't last very long. So, but if you took that same goose in your car and you tried to drive across the border, you're going to be surrounded by, you know, border patrol guys with guns. They're like, what are you doing with the goose? <laughs> so at some point we- I think we all understand that on a story level. Right, right. Well, and at some point people forgot um, or allowed themselves to be, to be convinced that they're not part of nature. And since you're not part of nature, you have to abide by these circles and rules and all this kind of stuff. And then the, uh, I hear this all the time. People are like, well, are you talking about anarchy? 
I'm like, well, do you know the definition of anarchy? First of all, because in your mind, most, most people's mind, it means chaos. Really, it just means self-organization. Hmm. So um, long, long story shorter, because I abide by every contract that I'm a part of, if I make an agreement with somebody, then I'm going to follow through. And if something slips through the cracks or I forget and then it comes back to my attention, I'm like, oh, that's right. All right, here we go. Um, and I expect the same with people that, that work with me. That being said, I don't ever use contracts with my clients. Like I've never used a contract with a client. Um, anyway, I began to question this thing of, you know, why am I, why am I compelled to give my income to these people that I don't know? So I decided to test it and see what happens. So um, one year I just didn't play the game. And then next year came and I didn't play the game. And next year came and I didn't play the game. And this wasn't out of bravado or curiosity. It was mostly laziness and overwhelm. Like I was just so overwhelmed with the thought of doing that, that I was like, uh, I put it off. And next thing you know, the, the fear went away and I'm like, well, there's next year. Okay. Let's see what happens. Meantime, I'm waiting for a knock on the door. And so for like seven years, yeah, 2014 to 21, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But then I really started studying the law. I really started educating myself. And realize there is no law. That's when you say the law, what do you mean by that? Specifically, that there is no law saying you have to pay income tax for personal income tax. There, there isn't. If and if anybody listening, if, if the IRS or you're listening to this, please show me where it says, because I'll be happy to abide by any contract that I'm a part of. Um, but I had a, uh, a lawyer that I gave some money to. I'm like, you know, if any letters come in or whatever, handle it. So he calls me last summer. And he's like, Mr. Elder, um, we got a letter from an examination officer in the IRS and they want to audit you. I'm like, great. This is a new experience. Never had this before. Send me what they have. So I got a Word document that was, I mean, it looked like it was, like your son would probably do a better job. Like there was just several different font sizes and margins were all over the place. It was a work of art. And I was asking all these questions. But because I know what I am, I know who I am, and I'm not confused about what I am. I am not a corporation. I am a human being. I'm a natural living man, and I'm a part of nature. And since nobody created me, nobody has authority over me unless I grant them situational authority to guide me in a particular area of endeavor that I wish to become better in. In that case, I will grant them my authority at the moment we start the class, and that authority ends the moment the class is over. Is that what a birth certificate is? That's a totally different thing. Okay. Um, the, the birth certificate is like the whole straw man thing and capitalized name and all of that. But Got it. I, I went down that road. It's, it's a thing, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, because if you know who you are, then you know that no one has authority over you. Now, if you've harmed somebody or damaged someone's property, then yes, you make it whole. That's what, that's what decent human beings do. But I, so I get this, this letter and, um, and I started filling it out for the novelty of it. And it's like, what's your title? I'm like, I'm the guy that gets shit done. Uh, then what is your, um, oh, how many hours a week do you work? I'm like, only the ones I want to. What? <laughs> this is on an IRS form? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's supposedly, I don't know who this person is. Yeah, okay. I mean, they, they are a stranger to me. I've never met them. I yes. don't know who this person is. Yeah. But I'm filling it out because it's like a novel experience. Um, I don't know if there's any contract anywhere that I signed that says that I have to do this according to what I've agreed to. And I'm open, always open to being shown that there is, in which case, if there is, I will gladly 
do, I will fulfill the terms of any contract that I am legally and lawfully a part of. Um, but I don't have any such awareness of, of understanding of such an agreement. So I'm just filling it out for the experience of doing something new. Uh, how much money did you make this year? Mm, more than last year. And then I got bored. I got tired of answering it because I, I have questions now. So I, I sent it back kind of in, mostly incomplete to the attorney. And I said, uh, I'm, I will happily continue to answer this, um, but I require clarification. I need to understand the identity and the intent of the individual who is presuming to have jurisdiction over me and my business. So here are six questions that I want you to ask them. Once I've got the answers from this individual to these questions, I will then have the information that I need to make a choice about how I'm going to proceed. So I send the email. He emails me right back. He's like, Mr. Elder, I can't represent you if you're going to challenge the tax code. So I emailed him back. I said, brother, I'm not challenging anything. I'm simply requesting clarity about the identity and intent of this individual who is presuming to have jurisdiction over me and my business. They have to prove jurisdiction in order to have authority over me. Now, if I had harmed a, a living being, if I had damaged property, then anybody can come to me. If, if, if I saw some dude trying to punch or, or choke out someone else, I can go up to them and I can physically stop them. And I can say, it's a second degree felony in the state of Texas to obstruct someone's airflow. I'm going to put you under citizen's arrest and I will testify in a court of law that I, with my own eyes, saw you lay hands on this person. I will, and I will hold you until the law enforcement gets here. I'll take you there myself. This is all lawful. Um, but absent an injured party, there's no actual crime. There's corporate law, which invites you to play in their contract. I'm just not accepting the invitation. This is a rabbit hole that I don't know if we're going to be able to complete. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because it's so deep. It, it is and it's not. Tell me, the, tell me the part where it's not. Here's where it's not. Are you an honest person? Yes. Do you keep your word? Yes. Okay. If you don't keep your word, do you ever, do you make it right? Yeah. Right. Um, do you agree that it's healthy and natural that if everybody in the world were to operate according to do no harm and take no shit, that this would be a better place? It'd be beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and is there anybody that has more rights than you? Of course not. No. So if anybody tells you to do something just because they said so, then the question is not why. The question is, who are you? Who are you? And in order to ask that question, you have to know who you are. And that's why this is so simple. Because once somebody understands remembers who and what they are, which is a child of God, a divine creation, an outcropping, an individuation of immortal consciousness, mm. <laughs> then it's like, and what's your name, buddy? Because <laughs> I'm a child of God, and so are you. So we're just playing this, this beautiful game together. Yeah. Even if they come down to the point where they're like, there's a warrant. I'm like, great, let me see the warrant. All right. Um, I see here that there's no magistrate signature, or there's no uh, clerk signature, which means that there's no injured party. 
which means that this is an invitation, an offer of contract for me to come with you and do these things, but there's no clerk signature. And, and, and this is where it is not so much a deep rabbit hole, but just very basic understanding of the actual law then is to say to this agent, to this officer who's operating as a, a um, enforcer of the homeowner association known as the city of Austin or county of Travis or whatever, these are homeowner associations, corporations for profit. And he's doing his job, which I respect the hell out of. Like, imagine, imagine the dedication you have to have to put Kevlar on to go to work. Holy shit, mm -hmm, man. Mm -hmm. And it's like, most cops I've met are badass. They're so awesome. My first black belt that I promoted was uh, SAPD. And I've many, many friends, uh, cops over the years. And they're public servants. And I'm a member of the public. So my job is to make sure that the servant is doing their job properly. So if I know the law and I say there's no clerk signature on this, which means there's no injured party, there's no verified claim before the common law court of record, which means, brother, what you're doing is you're violating U.S. Title 18, Section 241 and 242. You are committing a war crime against a civilian population because this is not following due process and you're coming in here with lethal force and you're coercing and threatening and, and trying to do this. I'm not threatened by you. I appreciate you're doing your job. I just don't want you to get in trouble for this because you're violating U.S. Title 18, Section 241, 242, and that is a 15-year felony, brother. So what you need to do right now is get the DA on the phone right now, and I want your supervisor here immediately. Have you had to do this, or are you planning to potentially do this if necessary. I'm never planning to do any of it. Okay. Um, just, like I'm, just like I'm not planning to choke somebody out tonight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and if I find myself in the situation where that's what I do, then that's what I'll do. Got it. So you're proactively prepared. You're a peaceful man who's proactively well, prepared. Well, the thing is that I, I just want what's best for everybody. Yeah. And I don't want this, this, this police officer to get in trouble yeah. because they don't know the law. Jesse, I've told you this a few times when we've hung out. And I got to say, if you yourself aren't called to take people through an educational program about common law, who is, you know, if, if not, I'm not pressuring you to do it, yeah. but I'm just, you know, inquiring, like, where do we go? I mean, we could do a quick Google search. We could do a DuckDuckGo. I'll, I'll you know, tell you two names to look up real quick. I mean, let's I'll, add it to the notes. So if yeah. people really want to dig into yeah, common if law. If you want to dive can. into that, I've learned a lot from listening yeah. to these guys. Um, Alphonse Fagiolo. A-L-P-H-O-N-S-E, Fagiolo, F-A-G-G-I-O-L-O. Amazing dude, super sharp, um, and has applied this stuff and developed a whole process. Okay. So you can go and learn from Alphonse. Very cool. Uh, his website is, uh, is a clunky website. I am has sent me to you.com. Wow. And he's not a super spiritual guy. Yeah, But he was inspired, spiritual. and that's, anyway, uh, but Alphonse Fagiolo. And um, look up Crow 777 Radio. Um, Crow is on there. He's, he runs a great show okay. and he's where I found out about Alphonse and has just phenomenal understandings of the law. And he has amazing guests on the thing is there are so many people doing this stuff. It is awesome. Yeah. I'm awesome. excited to see how this plays out. I, I yeah. really am. I, 
I know that taxation is theft. Yes. You know, you're echoing, you're echoing a lot of what the conversation around Bitcoin was when we had Robert on the show. And, and I really, it's not that I'm like welcoming the conflict, but I would be, doesn't need to be a conflict. I would be proud to be able to be educated enough to enforce my, my common law. It just doesn't need to be any, any conflict. And that sounds incredible. I mean, I'm going through a, a potential paradigm shift right now, just sitting with you. I think a lot of us are, we're, somebody's probably like, Jesse, are you going to get arrested like movie stars? <laughs> you know, like, like that. Well, here's, here's the thing. That's kind of the narrative. Who, who, um, Wesley Snipes, Willie Nelson, oh, you know, all these guys who got busted for taxes. Yeah. He went to jail for taxes. Well, so, I don't know if he did or not. Uh, cause I wasn't there. Yes. But that's the narrative. Yes. Yeah. And that's what every, that's what Aubrey said when I was talking about this, he was like, you're going to be Wesley Snipes. Interesting. That's what everybody thinks of because that's the programming. Yeah. And so better to just go along with it. Um, a great, great, great piece of, uh, education. If people want to watch this, go, go on YouTube and look up spirit of 43. And it's a six minute video that was released in 1942, 43 in the movie theaters, which was like the Facebook of the time, you know, you go to the movie theater and that's where you're getting news and all this kind of stuff. So the uh, United States government, this is so awesome. The United States government hired the greatest propagandist of all time to create a six-minute video, Walt Disney. So the video comes on as Donald Duck. Donald Duck, and it opens with this scene of a, of a factory whistle, and it's going, payday, and these dollar signs are coming out of it. And this very friendly, authoritative narrator comes on, and he's like, every week, millions of Americans receive their paycheck. And this, I won't spoil it, yeah. but it's worth a six-minute watch because in six minutes, you watch Donald Duck go from getting paid to having his kind of playboy, spendthrift uncle pull him towards go to the bar and spend money. It's your money. And his wise, spendthrift Scottish uncle pulling him over to say, oh, yes, Sonny, you can, you can do that, but you got to think about the boys on the fighting front. And next thing you know, they're bringing in Hitler and they're bringing in um, Hirohito and they're bringing all these war images and they're saying, we need your taxes, mm-hmm. taxes to fight the Axis. Income tax is voluntary. It's always been voluntary. And when the government came out with that movie, I, I don't I don't want to quote the exact numbers because I don't know them offhand, but it was a minuscule amount of Americans that were voluntarily paying income tax, like 15%. After that film came out, it skyrocketed 80, 90% because people wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason why they do, why they why they pay taxes, income tax, not corporate. If you're a corporation, you're agreeing to play play the corporate game. But the only reason an income, a person, a human being would pay their money is if they choose to. And so that movie was created to get people to want to do it. And they did. And then their kids grew up seeing their parents do it. And it was just never said otherwise. This is wild. And this is probably why now I feel the excitement about the nation state dissolving. Oh yeah. I mean, that's really what this is. As we say goodbye, Jesse, this has been amazing, man. I don't even know how long we've been going, but I know it's been a minute. Um, I have one final thing to read and and it was about this, this concept of, of non-resistant flow, which it really inspired me. And you said that time behaves very differently when you're operating in a vacuum of judgment, when you're completely free of the past and free of the future, 
You are filling this time and space with who and what you actually are. You're being fully, really powerful yourself. It's beyond cathartic and a restoration of your childlike qualities of being timeless. Share with us that wisdom as we say goodbye. Did I write that? You did. That's well, so, actually, that's you, great. you spoke it. Okay, that's you, why I don't you remember spoke it. it and it's yeah. transcribed. Yeah, okay. Where's yeah. that from? Uh, Do you remember? The conversation you had with, with our good friend, Cal. Oh, with Cal. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, see, well, and that's actually kind of a, an example. Um, I don't remember that at all. Um, I, I live it and I experience it all the time, but I don't remember saying that. And so linking back to our first, one of the, the first things we talked about today, I think even before the recording started about outcomes versus byproducts. Yes. When you are, f- I don't even know if it's possible to be fully present, but when you are more present, you you are less influenced by memory and imagination. And so what a lot of people do is they have memories that are constantly calling the shots and then they have imagination, fearful, hopeful, that's calling the shots. And there's very little bandwidth for what's here, for what's actually going on. And so as I began to test being more present, letting go of the past, letting go of the future and expanding my awareness to the present moment, I began to realize that there's a data layer that's available that borders on precognition. And so I, te- I continually tested this over and over and over. I went on tour and went to like 20 something cities and did a different gig in a different city with no preparation whatsoever. And just right before I go on stage, just close my eyes take a deep breath and then just walk out there and would just riff for 90 minutes um, and know exactly what I was going to say right before I was going to say it, but not know what I'm going to say two minutes from now. And so it expanded the present and I began to see that the quality of the information that was coming through, it's not like channeling. I'm just like, uh, that's I, cool. lo- I love that you haven't said, I'm getting a cosmic download. Oh, fuck no. God, I'm just go rub my lingam with a crystal. I love it. Thank yeah. you for not saying that. Yeah. And it, people yeah. that do, great. Yeah. That's awesome. Or you could just take fucking responsibility for it. Like your your expression is as good as, I love what you said earlier about leading edge experiences and, and yeah. get out there and do it, then assimilate. And now you've got a, a wisdom bank to pull from. Mm. Um, I did a 24-hour Facebook Live once. Same thing, like no planning. I'm going to just go live. Do you sleep? No, 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 no. Um, But it's that same sort of timeless in the moment experience. So when, when we're present, you're, you're outside of time. Time is an emotion. It stretches and it's malleable and you can make as much of it as you want. And so being in a, in a union, in a communion like this, it could be six in the morning outside. It could be Tuesday. It could be, it could be five minutes because those are external indicators, external descriptions of what we've been in. The reality is we've been outside of time while we've been in this thing. Yeah. This is the flow or as you had said, the non-resistant flow. Yeah. And I think it can be so fleeting and maybe it's part of the theater too. And in the middle of all this, there's well-being. There's us living well. Yeah. What does that even mean to you? You know, as we yeah, as we say the Italian goodbye, I feel like we've been saying goodbye for 20 minutes here. It's Works been for me. It's been joyous, man. Yeah. Um at the middle of all this, there's there's us living well or there's us living unwell. There's ease in my system yep. or there's dis-ease yes. that my body is yeah. manifesting and yep. trying to get my attention yep. for. Yep. How do you make sense of that? What is what does it mean for you now? with everything you've been through, man. Yeah. All the lessons and journeys and wisdom. Yeah. How do you define 
wellness? How do you live your life in well-being? Sure. Um, and this relates directly to time. Um, again, one of the spells that we're under is that we've got a finite amount of it. And we, you know, we, we look at, oh, you're going to, you know, your average person is going to live to be 80 or whatever. And we just accept that. And so, you know, you're going to be 42. Yeah. So that if you accepted the common, uh, you know, thinking of like average guy, I don't even care about averages, but yeah. let's say, let's say somebody says average is 80, 82 years old, then you would be now operating in a limited capacity thinking, well, I've, I just passed the halfway mark and I've only got 40 years left and the last 40, oh God, uh, uh, now you can really get yourself into a tizzy. Um, so I, I observed that in a lot of other people since I was a kid and I was like, well, fuck it. I'm never going to get old then. Like I'm just not going to get old at all. And then that choice to not get old led me to all sorts of other resources and, and, and conversations to back up that choice. So, you know, having a conversation with Aubrey de Grey in New York a couple of years ago, this, you know, longevity expert and all these other things. And I just thought, okay, well then why don't I just choose when I want to crap out? Like, why don't I just choose when I want to kick it? Or at least why don't I just choose whether or not I want to renew, you know, my lease here? Yeah. So I just thought, well, let me pick a day. Uh, 150. That sounds good to me. So I decided years ago that I'm going to live to be 150 years old. And then once I made that choice, then everything started to reflect that. I began to understand things about my body. I was absolutely gifted with injuries so that I could understand what the body actually is and what it's not. It's not a dumb machine that's prone to entropy. Mm -hmm. It is a collection of energetic frequencies that are always affecting the cells that are being birthed into it. So those cells are like tuning forks and they start vibrating at the level of whatever the dominant resonant emotional frequency is. So if my emotional frequency is one of wellness, then disease literally can't exist in my body. And my body being such a smart thing will let me know, just like you said, it will let me know and it will give me a headache or a backache or, or something else. Yeah. And if I listen, I'm like, oh, what do you need? Okay, got it, cool. Now chill out. <laughs> and then my body's like, okay, boom. And, it, yes. and I just tell it what to do. So all of that to say, I personally don't operate in time scarcity because I'll be 49 earth years this year and I'm just getting started, man. Like yeah, just getting started. That being said, if I'm on my motorcycle tomorrow and I get distracted looking at a hawk and some armadillo takes me out, you know, and I, I come out of the wreck and I look back and my body's like smeared across the highway. I'm like, Ooh, wow, that's a lot. Okay. And I just don't have a body anymore. Great. Makes no difference to me. I'm not attached to this. If, if, if my body is not part of my vehicle anymore, and I'm just moving to whatever is next, great. Like, it doesn't matter to me. You'd miss, potentially, some experiences. No. You, you wouldn't miss. No, because you're always missing things. Like, right now, we've had this experience. Yeah. We've missed every other thing in our life. Mm -hmm. We've missed every other possible thing. We've missed swimming in the ocean. We've missed, you've missed playing with your son. You've, we've, both of us together have missed literally everything else that we could have been doing. But, so you're just always missing things. I think there's a part of me that, you know, I used to, I, I truly did used to fear death before breath work, psychedelics, and vision quest. I feared death. Yeah. Very, very, it's a very, very common fear. But I don't fear death. It's more, 
the fact the fact that that my physical body isn't here and that one day I won't get to hold my son or hug my partner or just love my people like there is a part of my soul that would truly miss that at least at my current level there's of development. A part of, there's a and part I, of your belief system that believes you would miss it. Touche. Which means it's true. Yeah, which means it's true. So, but but the fear isn't there. Right. And that's relieving because yeah. actually I use, you know, is it useful? Is it truthful or is it yeah, useful? Yeah. I use my, the ache that I feel that one day I won't hold my son. I use that to love him as hard as I yep. fucking can. Yep. Exactly. So it's useful. And there's that, there's that pushing off point. So my story is useful. <laughs> yes. Well, there's the contrast. It's like, oh, here's yeah. this thing I don't want, which makes me want this even more. And mm-hmm. then you just go and grab him and love on him and cry and laugh. And, and he's just yeah. like ah, being himself. Jesse, we're in the quantum, man. It's been yeah, a joy. Yeah. Tell people where they can learn more and get the vitamins, the mind vitamins. The mind vitamins. Yeah. Uh, I'll, or tell them wherever you want to start with you. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. do they go to learn more with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active on, on uh, Instagram, at Jesse Elder Live, uh, Facebook, Jesse Elder. And then um, the, I've got a website, which candidly at this moment is being overhauled, but it's jesseelder.com, so they can, can check that out. Uh, that's that's probably the best places. It's been a joy, man. It's been likewise, a Josh. What been a wonderful flow man. conversation! Wonderful. You're a great, Good great Lord. collaborator, dude. This is fucking great. Thanks. Yeah, this was like a tennis match that got recorded. A fun, a fun one. Yeah, you guys, we're talking about Jesse's work a lot. Uh, all this week, actually, uh, wellnessforce.com forward slash community. Also, just look wherever you're watching this or listening. We have a full show notes, all the resources Jesse mentioned about common law and food and what's coming it's all there for you so until jesse and i see you again we're both wishing you love and wellness we'll talk to you soon there's a lot of talk in this world about gut health but when it really comes to gut health you don't always need supplements to make your internal world sparkly clean again the majority of the time you can heal and nourish your gut simply by using the right foods and eating the right nutrients. For me and my family, when it comes to gut health, we start with food, specifically healthy, sustainable animal foods that are pasture-raised, organically spiced, and naturally fermented, like the pasture-raised turkey sticks from our partners and friends at Paleo Valley. Now, the naturally occurring probiotics is what truly sets these turkey sticks apart. Also, they taste amazing and they satiate me. They're GMO-free. They have delicious flavor. This beautiful satiating protein is digested with every bite. This cage-free, free-range, pasture-raised poultry. It's the equivalent of 100% grass-fed cows. You can feel good and pick up your multi-pack of these pasture-raised turkey sticks over at joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley make sure you use the code josh that's j-o-s-h to get 15 percent off your entire order make your gut happy stop being hangry no more hangriness joshtrent.com forward slash paleo valley use code josh to save 15 percent off your entire order from my friends at paleo valley thank you for being here with us on the podcast you can access all the wellness and the wisdom over at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. You can get every single thing you need to access all the wisdom you have inside of your body and heart and soul right at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. If you want to be coached directly by me and be a part of this thriving wellness force global community, just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start your journey today. Get the M21 wellness guide with six science-backed practices that'll help you body, mind, and soul. Start your day with the right intention and the right mindset so your physical body can give you love back. 
That's joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start today. I'm waiting for you. You have the community right here, right now at your fingertips. You just have to have the courage to take the first step. joshtrent.com forward slash M21 to get your free 21-day six-part science-backed guide.